0: I'm super excited about today's Healthy Competition session. The session's all about product-led growth and product marketing. And so how product marketing works within a PLG company, how it differs from a sales-led company, clarifying common misconceptions, all that good stuff. And I couldn't think of anybody better then Madison and Anthony to join me to talk about this topic. And so let's do some quick introductions, get those out of the way first. So Anthony, why don't you go first? Why don't you tell us a little bit about you?
1: Yeah, my name's Anthony Pieri. I am a product marketer, uh, co-founder of a product marketing agency called Fletch PMM. Uh, we work mainly with early stage startups, SaaS, B2B, um, most of the time PLG, that are trying to get their foundational positioning and messaging down. So um, my partner's name Robert Kaminsky, the two of us. Uh, we're, we're working with lots of fun startups. So yeah. What about you, Madison?
2: Yeah, so I am doing full-time advising and consulting for early stage and late stage startups. uh, Some of which who are wanting to go into PLG and are more sales led and others have been PLG from the start and they're trying to launch a product and grow their company. And so I basically help them figure out how to launch, grow and scale. Um, And my background is either in direct to consumer or in B2B PLG company. So I'm very familiar with this topic and I'm very excited.
0: We'll go ahead and kick things off. The first thing that I wanted to talk about, and we'll kick this over to you first, Madison. So just Mm -hmm. common misconceptions about product-led growth because I feel like there's a lot out there. I think PLG is one of those topics, or it's just like one of those keywords where people maybe think it's one thing, but it's actually another. So, number one, just list off, if you could, a couple of common misconceptions you hear from companies that are thinking about PLG and dispelling those misconceptions, like what the actual answer to those things are?
2: Yeah, I love this question. And my number one misconception that I think a lot of people think is that PLG equals free trial. And I hear this a lot, and a lot of people will kind of say something along the lines of, we want a free trial so that we can acquire more customers or so that we can lower our CAC payback. And while, yes, those are certainly perks that come along with PLG, um, that is fundamentally not what PLG is at the core. And so PLG, and I'll just clarify for anyone who maybe doesn't know, stands for product led growth, and it is a growth strategy, and it's company-wide. So it doesn't have to do with freemium trial or freemium product, but rather the growth mindset of the company. And so with a product-led growth company, you're really driving the main acquisition through the product itself and through the users who are using the product. And the idea is you have such a fantastic user experience and this product that's solving such an inherent pain or problem that you're encountering that you just want to shout it from the rooftops. And the idea is that for every one user you acquire, you get at least one other user from the user you paid for because they're so happy about the product that they're sharing it word of mouth. Um, a great example that I like to use um, so people can kind of visualize this would be Venmo. I cannot, as a user, go onto Venmo and use Venmo. I have to invite another user in order for the exchange to happen on Venmo. So that's a really good example of how product led growth works. And the primary growth vehicle for Venmo is. Users acquiring other users. And so, definitely freemium and definitely free trial are things that you leverage to implement those growth loops. Uh, but that is a very common misconception that I hear all the time that I would like to dispel once and for all.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, we hear that all the time like, oh, I'm product led growth now because we offer a, a free trial. I, you know, it's yeah. one of those things that I feel like you, you constantly have to kind of just reiterate exactly how how the strategy works because the other thing that i think mm-hmm. about typically with a lot of these tools is you mentioned inviting other people venmo that that's a great example another piece is a lot of these collaboration tools that are out there so getting yep. other people from your team onto the same platform in order to see more value as opposed to just you kind of in mm-hmm. a silo okay. so let's let's jump over into the actual product marketing aspect of plg so let's 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 kick this one over to you anthony how do you see the role of product marketing changing within a product-led growth company as it scales?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So like I said earlier, I'm mainly in the early stage world. So in the early stage, product marketing, in my opinion, is one of the most important skills that a founder can have. Whether the founder has it or they hire a product marketer is a, a massive world of a difference. Um, Everyone probably is familiar with the lean startup, the build, measure, learn loop, and you're putting out different MVPs and things. But the problem is people are often testing to see, do people like my idea? Is this worth pursuing? Should I build it deeper in this direction, in that direction? Um, and if they don't have those product marketing fundamentals down, they may be putting out you know, landing page tests, wizard of odd tests, um, doing running user interviews, all sorts of pieces like that without actually explaining the product very clearly. And so they're getting lots of false negatives, false positives. People really like this, and they go chase that down and then realize that, Actually, they don't really like this, or it wasn't what I thought it was. And so, the product marketing in the early stages is getting those muscles to be able to, as you iterate in your uh, building, right? As you the MVP as it iterates, and then when you pivot from one to the other, being also very, very clear in explaining each of the different value propositions with each iteration. And so it's almost like the like the uh, position measure learn loop as we've called it, where each time that you do through the loop, you also have to kind of reposition. Uh, re-explain the product, the value propositions to see that people are actually getting it and understanding it. So usually in a smaller startup, this is the work of the founder or a founding marketing hire who's actually helping explain it. And with most startups, they have this problem. It's an age-old problem that uh, you're trying to speak to investors on one side. So you explain the product in terms of the broad vision, how you're going to reach all these different users and segments. But then when you talk to the actual segments themselves, you start to use the same messaging and you're explaining this giant platform you're going to build and what it does is it creates all this friction for the end user they don't understand it they don't get why they would care about it and when you try to walk them back to something very specific uh usually the the founders are are wary about doing that because they're like i don't want to diminish diminish my giant vision so product marketing in the early stage is really about being able to explain the value proposition as you keep iterating and you're gonna have to do it over and over and over again pivot measure learn uh with positioning measure learning at the same time And then as you kind of cross that product marketing chasm, um, sorry, product market fit chasm, where now you've sort of honed in on the segment, the segment really likes it. You have maybe a channel or two that's really humming. um, Product marketing becomes more a game of uh, handling it across scale. So saying, okay, we're rolling out new features or maybe even rolling out a second product to our, our portfolio of products. How do we get this message out to the segment? And so it becomes much higher level management of huge strategic uh, communication projects right across all of our different channels in in app messaging to the apps, the people that are using the apps. How do we communicate the value across multiple different segments? So the role definitely shifts and becomes more of like a high level strategic um, project management role almost to be able to say, we're going to still do this work of customer uh, research and voice of the customer getting it into these good value propositions, but you're kind of communicating at scale potentially to multiple different segments, multiple different channels. So I see that as kind of the biggest change from one to the other. Is there like a max
0: number of of different channels or buyer personas at that early stage? Because I feel like you could go really crazy and you could be like, okay, yeah, our product works really well for this persona, like a marketer, uh, a sales persona, an engineer, you know, we there's a ton of all-in-one tools out there right now. Or do you find that it makes a lot of sense to just start with one and iterate from there? We usually say
1: that it's the most helpful to pick a segment, but what that segment looks like, you can slice a market in 10 different ways. You could segment by a team, like we sell to marketing teams. You could segment by a type of company. We sell to enterprise or an industry. We sell to finance companies, right? Or you can combine some of those segments, but you can also segment by a really specific use case. So I think of the company, Small PDF. They basically would let you shrink PDFs and the size of that. That's a really common use case that spans lots of different personas, but they've honed in on this really, really specific problem. It's annoying to change the size of, of PDFs. And then essentially found a solution. So I think it depends what you choose, but we usually say if you only have one marketer and maybe one salesperson, you can really only realistically go after one segment. If it's a segment based on a persona or a company or a use case, you're just probably not going to be able to execute five or 10 different segments at once with such a small team. Yeah,
0: no, that totally makes sense. And speaking also from like the like startup point of view. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are wondering if is PLG even the right strategy for us moving forward as we're going to go to market and try to scale. So, Madison, like when you're working with clients, like how do you work with them to identify if PLG is even a good path for them to go down or not?
2: It's kind of one of those things where I recommend all companies consider PLG Now, whether they do it this year or next year or the year after, kind of all depends on a few things. Um, I think overall, what we're seeing time and time again is that the buying landscape is fundamentally changing. And right now, 60%, I think it's actually over 60% of buyers are millennials. And what are millennials used to doing? Trying products before they buy it. Think about the App Store when that came out in 2008, 2009. uh, That is what millennials are used to. And so they're wanting to see that exact same experience in the buying cycle for enterprises as well. And that's going to just continue to escalate more and more over time and over the generations. So it's not so much whether anyone should do PLG, I think everyone should do PLG, but sometimes depending on where you are in your life cycle for the company, it may not be the right time and you may need to set up resources in order to do that in the future. Um, And so that timeline will kind of equate based on, like I said, resources you have in the company. PLG isn't just a free trial. If you have a freemium version, you also need self-serve customer support and help articles. You need a onboarding solution. You need lots of different things. You need a, a qualifications for people inside of the product to know when they get passed over to the sales team. So all of these things and self-service billing are, are really, um, they're hard to put together. Um, and so you can't just do this overnight. And so resources in a company is one thing to consider and start building a budget for and start hiring for. Um, The second piece of of the timeline is what are your competitors doing? So if you're in a space where no one has any sort of self-service product whatsoever, and they're not going down PLG, A, that's a great time for you to do it because it will set you apart. But B, if if the answer is yes, if you do have competitors in your space who are implementing some sort of self-service product, then the urgency is important to go after immediately because you will absolutely get left behind the more that they iterate on this PLG strategy. Um, And and ultimately, they're going bottoms up. And as we've seen from the recent Figma acquisition, you absolutely need that bottoms up movement because they will start to go into other companies, recommend your product and expand from there. So resources and, and the urgency behind your competitors are really the two factors that I look at. And then the last one is just as a company, as founders, as the leadership team, what's your mindset? Is it a growth mindset or is it a revenue mindset? And I I know a lot of people equate the two to be combo and, and in some regards they are, but a growth mindset is more that you are open to iterating and failing fast and doing experiments to find the optimal path forward. And that ultimately lends itself really well to a PLG strategy. Versus having, you know, more of this revenue focused outcome. Uh, typically, I see longer cycles for product development with that. And I also see a lot of folks not really know whether they've hit metrics or not, because anytime you implement a new product, it's going to equate in some sort of a revenue, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to scale effectively. And so having that growth mindset is really key when you're implementing a, a product-led growth strategy as well.
0: Yeah, and and there's a great question in the chat here too um, from Fiona. So she asked, what are some of the effective ways to transition from sales-led growth to product-led growth? And it reminded me a lot of uh, this conversation that we were having at a team offsite, just like the difference uh, between sales in, in like a sales-led organization and a product-led because what a lot of people don't know or don't think about is that just because your PLG doesn't mean you don't have some sort of sales org you know mm-hmm. you can still have sales assisted especially like once you're scaling and you're selling to more mid-market enterprise companies in a lot of cases you have sales assisted teams that can handhold and guide uh, a deal and uh, but mm-hmm. but one of the key differences that i noticed is from a sales led perspective a lot of the companies are training sellers to just go super fast right so you you get some kind of sign of intent to purchase like Fill out a form, whatever, and then you're gonna have an SDR call right away. Try to get a meeting. Try to get someone like into like do a demo. Try to close the deal. Whereas with product led growth, it's a completely different motion. We heard of uh, one company that there they got free trials and people were in their platform for over a year before sales like jumped in and tried to like assist the deal because they were waiting for specific markers that the account was actually ready to move forward. And so that's Mm -hmm. like one of the key differences. Like when we're thinking about different ways of transitioning from sales led to product led, because some, some things aren't equal, even if you have the same sales team, for example, they're going to be moving a little bit differently. Same with marketing, Mm -hmm. same with, same with like, when we're thinking about metrics and product launches, like you're going to have to think about things a little bit differently. This episode of the Healthy Competition Podcast is brought to you by the Healthy Competition Community. Whoa, can you believe that? The Healthy Competition Community is where product marketers, competitive intel practitioners, and other go-to-market pros share best practices and act as a sounding board for questions that Google can't answer. Over a thousand messages are exchanged every month, despite there being less than a hundred members in the community. Now I'm a firm believer in prioritizing high quality topics of conversation and building authentic connections over member count numbers. So this piece is super important to me. But with that being said, if you listen to this podcast, then you'll probably love being in the community. So join today at healthycompetition.co. That's healthycompetition.co. Now back to the episode. So Madison, I want to ask you one other question before we hop in, into a kind of a different topic. When we're talking about like yeah. product launch metrics for example, are there any like relevant metrics that you would think of from like a product marketing perspective for PLG versus maybe for like a sales led organization?
2: Typically when you're launching a product in a sales led organization, the primary metric is revenue. You're launching this product, you're enabling the sales team on how to sell it and Maybe it's bundled into your existing suite, maybe it's a net new product that you're trying to get other people to expand upon. So it really depends on kind of the purpose of the product, but overall the end goal is usually revenue. Um, And very simple way to to measure that, Um, you either are increasing revenue or you're not. I think with uh, PLG companies and product launches, It's much more focused on kind of these incremental changes. And what I mean by that is typically in a PLG company, the metrics that you want is activation, uh, retention, and then monetization after that. And so with activation, that's really when someone gets to the aha moment in your product. So whether you're adding a feature or you're adding a whole new product to your existing platform, you really want to focus with your product lead, uh, maybe it's a growth PM, whoever it may be on the product end, to determine what the hypothesis is for activation, what's the aha moment, and get everything to that one end goal. Once you have the aha moment, then you want them to come back. And so then you can start doing maybe some life cycle, um, some engagement work. Uh, some in-app messaging to try to repeat the aha moment and become a habit of it. And that's really going to get you your retention piece. Once someone's retained, then you can move on to the monetization piece. And with a PLG company, this could be either self-serve, right? You're pointing them towards signing the dotted line, swiping their credit card on their own, Um, or perhaps what you were talking about earlier, which was, you know, more of this product qualified lead and, or maybe even have a hand raiser who says, I want to implement this for my large team. And then they go and talk to the sales cycle and they get involved in that process. Um, But the really cool thing about PLG is like you said earlier, it doesn't mean that sales is gone. It just means that you're assisting sales in a really positive way. So Typically, in a sales-led conversation with a prospect, the champion is not really doing much legwork. You're really just talking to the champion so that you can get to the buyer and and continue that top-down motion. But with a champion and a PLG company, you're really leveraging them because they're advocates for your product. They've used the product. Perhaps they've invited more people. And so now that champion is going to their boss and saying, I've used this, we get value out of it, here's some preliminary data, and then the sales team can do their work coming top down uh, to the buyer. And so you really combine the best worlds um, with that experience.
0: I totally didn't. That's the first time I've actually connected those dots, Madison, like how it's like... (laughs) It's it's way more of like a collaboration between the seller and the champion on the buyer mm-hmm. side than it would be in like a sales-led environment where I feel like it's more, you know, the, the seller is guiding everything. They're like pitching yep. the value. That's that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that.
2: Mm-hmm. I think typically with product and sales organizations in a sales-led company, um, there's a bit of healthy tension, I would say. Uh, but with a, a PLG company where product is really taking ownership of the product itself. And then sales takes ownership of the selling process and they work together and meet in the middle. That's where I think a lot of the really the fireworks happens with the PLG company um, that I get really excited about.
0: Yeah, 100%. Let's dive into talking a little bit more about the messaging piece of this. Okay. So for PLG companies, traditionally, you know, they'll market directly to end users versus executives, which is again, another, I think, big difference between PLG and sales-led companies. Now, a lot of this is actually changing though today, given how tough the economy is, right? We can't just always be talking to the end user. We need to be talking to the people that are going to be signing the the contracts at the end of the day. And so for PLG companies, I'm gonna throw this one over to you, Anthony. Should they be giving equal attention to executives or buyers when they're putting together their messaging? Um, Like, So equal like 50-50 from executives to end users, or should the focus still be primarily on end users?
1: Yeah, I mean, I see it mostly as you need both. It's just a question of where that messaging lives, what types of assets that messaging lives in. So a lot of times when we'll work with startups, the PLG especially, right? Even though they're in the PLG world and they know that the end user is the most important, if the company starts to scale and they collect more types of users and they start layering on Sales Assist, you can see a lot of tension start to happen between the the stakeholders who are saying, we need to put more of this higher level leadership language like on our homepage, for example. And what happens is usually the message over time is to get bigger if they're not really careful. If you try to do multiple different personas on the same go-to-market asset, the message becomes really watered down and actually doesn't appeal to anyone. And so we were just chatting with a company not that long ago, like in the last couple of days, And essentially they were like, yeah, well, our CEO really wants to add more of like an executive level, high level benefits on the homepage, get this up there. But they were a complete PLG motion. And so we see it as like PLG is going to collect everybody that is coming to actually use the product. The homepage is going to be kind of the front door for everyone to come in, experience the value. Likely the directors, you know, even higher, the VPs are not going to be the ones searching for pain point solutions. It's usually gonna be someone more on the bottom who's experiencing these day-to-day. I just heard about this cool company called you know, Zoom. They let us do this video chatting thing, let's try it. And then it goes in bottoms up, right? So we usually think about structuring it, like putting the messaging for the end user, keeping that on the places where people are finding you. And then when you go out to people, because right, in the same way that PLG does not mean not sales, Uh, PLG doesn't also necessarily not mean like you have an outbound motion, right? Like Salesforce, the really big companies really do equal. They have hundreds of people employed in both directions to respond to the incoming people through PLG funnels and outbound. And so when you're the one taking the message to them, you can basically rebuild the messaging at the higher level. So this is where like messaging houses become really, really important, where you have the strategic messaging for each different end user and then their bosses, and then their bosses' bosses. And so you can choose the assets that are more PLG focused, like homepages, content that you're producing that's driving people in. You can have that all kind of speak to the end user, but you still build the messaging for the executives. You just use it mostly in sales calls, outbound, things like that, where you're actually going to those people. Or even I've seen a lot of places where you arm the champions within the company. So, a funny example is you probably are all familiar with Reforge. Uh, They do product management, growth, uh, training, and things like that. They're doing a PLG play rather than selling, hey, book book 10 spots for your team to go through the Reforge program, they say to the end user. But they provide them with language. If you want your boss to pay for your Reforge membership, you can give them this messaging. And they'll give you email templates that are all about the ROI and how much it's going to do X and Y. And so it would have never sold the end user to put that on the homepage, right? But they give that messaging to the end users to sell it up the chain for them. So I think, like, just a cool example. I'm sure most people here are familiar with Lenny's newsletter.
0: What you just mentioned, Anthony, like these kind of different um, like pricing structures depending on who's buying. So Lenny, essentially, the way that he has it laid out is you can you as an end user, if you just want to subscribe to this newsletter you know, it's gonna be 15 bucks a month or something like that. And for that, that's like me as an individual, Andy, not employed by anybody. I just, I'm curious about this stuff and I want to learn about it. So I'm the end user. Then he has another uh, pricing option right next to that, where it's like, if you can get reimbursement from your manager, here's the price and here's the, uh, and here's the talk track that you can use, right? Because in that case, you know, he can get more money. He yep. can, uh, you know, get and, and also my, my wallet is now bigger because i'm using you know maybe personal development uh reimbursement kind of funds that you get every single year
1: no i love that i think that's hilarious yeah it's very similar to if you do the individual plan for a company it's free or you know a buck or something and when you get to the team level ideally someone at the one level higher is going to foot the bill and so the price goes up Mm -hmm. exactly
0: okay um Let's move right along. So the next thing that I want to touch on is structuring a product marketing team within a PLG environment. Now, Madison, how does this change from, again, like a traditional sales-led environment? How, like from a product marketing perspective, is it the same between different companies or do you feel like these PLG product marketers should be aligned in a little bit of a different way?
2: I would say the skill set is very different. Um, for a PLG company, typically you want a PMM who is much closer to product than they are to sales and typically more focused on a generalist marketing background. Whereas for a sales led company, obviously you want that PMM to be very close with sales and have more of this, uh, copy background. Maybe it's a content background. Their storytelling is more, uh, prominent in the sales led motion. So, It's really the skill difference. Typically, I like to make sure that on a PLG side, you have folks who are very well-versed with product metrics. Going back to what I said earlier about activation, retention, conversion to monetization, So preferably they've either come from a product background or have experience working with those product metrics because every experiment that you run, every new initiative that you do is all going to be centered around those as your main KPIs. Um, So really having someone who's well-versed in that. The other thing too is having someone who's used to talking to end users, uh, whereas on the sales side, really having someone who's used to talking to buyers. And so you're gonna have user personas that you're really measuring against. And you're gonna have segments that are more based on use cases. Um, And so more of that granular uh, value prop messaging and positioning. And also too, from the competitive side, you want to be well-versed on things uh, closer to the product. So how does your onboarding compare to your competitors? How does your pricing and packaging, especially for that premium or free trial version, compare with your competitors. Um, Whereas on the sales side, you're really focused on the competitive intelligence that is company-wide, thought leadership, that is more so focused on innovation maybe, right? All of those big buzzwords that a lot of the buyers care about. Um, And of course, on the sales side, you're assisting with enablement. That could be anything from collateral creation. It could be things like discovery questions, uh, trainings, certificates, whatever that may look like. So I really look at it more of a skill difference. In terms of actual people resourcing, it really depends on the company. Um, And so typically what I've seen work really well, if you only have budget for maybe one or two PMMs on the PLG side, is making sure that someone is really focused on the activation piece and the retention piece. It's going to come into play a lot with lifecycle marketing, with in-app messaging, with um, you know the onboarding process, with um, engagement, uh, maybe release notes is going to be part of that process. Whereas on the sales side of things, you're really going to have someone who is measuring with sales velocity um, as KPIs, win loss rates, um, and really looking into the details of those metrics.
0: Mm i can attest that in a sales led environment it is so story focused and again it's because yeah. a, in a lot of cases the the people aren't the like the end users they're not in the actual product yet and so you really have to flex mm-hmm. on the fact that, of like building this kind of story this world where you know they're experiencing the pain your product is going to come along solve all these problems and it, you're using all the same kind of buzzwords that that the the main user is used to compared right to like the PLG process where I'm significantly more looped into what's happening within the product. It's less don't, there's still some storytelling involved, but there's, Mm -hmm. there's so much more tactical in the weeds work that you're doing with the product team. That was something that I was not expecting when I was transitioning from like a sales led world where I was primarily working with sellers to a plg mm-hmm. world where i was primarily working with product teams
2: yes absolutely and i think you know a lot of people ask me the question of like how many people or like what should each individual PMM do and i think you the way you just said it now which is kind of encapsulating like you can do both you can absolutely have someone who is well versed on one end of the spectrum in your case you were like yeah i know sales like the back of my hand and then transitioning into this product-led world and being exposed to the product side like it's definitely something that you can do both of. It just kind of depends on what metrics you're tracking and what goals you have for the company. If you're someone who's launching a net new PLG product and you're in a sales-led company today, you probably want at least one, if not two people primarily focused on PLG versus if you're in an existing PLG company where you have both sales-led and uh, you know, this self-serve motion you can easily go back and forth between um, kind of similar to what you were saying, Andy.
0: Mm -hmm. Now let's dive into a little bit more on the different phases of, you know, a buyer's journey when we're talking about product led growth and messaging specifically. So I think when we're thinking about websites and home pages, like we're, we're trying to convert as many different users as possible for like a plg company so anthony when you're developing messaging for a plg product specifically at the acquisition stage like what are what are your steps like how do you how do you how do you even start to figure out how to get the person who's landing on your website to convert and try the product
1: yeah it's really funny it's the opposite um if you want to think about it like the messaging that you give to investors it's the polar opposite it's the exact end of the other end of the spectrum the investors you're pitching all the things that your product's going to be able to do we you almost think of it like a like a menu right like at a restaurant the investors want to see like what's the whole scope of this restaurant what are all the things you're going to do all the ways that you're gonna you know fill my stomach and make me a happy cust- customer at your restaurant right but if you flip it for the end user it's very different it's much more like uh in a mall food court if any of your I remember going to the mall back in the day uh, and there was a food court where there's someone standing outside of a restaurant with a sample platter. And the sample platter is usually the best selling item. And the thought process is we're just trying to get people inside of the restaurant. If we, if they like our best selling, uh, best tasting item, they'll go into the restaurant and they'll learn all about the rest of the menu and the great things that we have to offer. And so what we try to do is try to get the companies to, Sort through, usually most of these companies we've talked to um, have overbuilt, almost all startups overbuild, like no matter how hard you try not to, in the process, you always end up overbuilding and you get a lot of different features. And so you're, because of the sunk cost fallacy, you've spent all this time uh, building these features, you really want to communicate the whole product to people. And so you're saying, well, we want to make sure that people don't think we're just X, don't think that we're just Y, we have all these things to offer. But if you look at the really successful PLG companies, they're always known for one specific thing. And I actually made a list of it at one point. Um, Calendly, for example, the main, their orange chicken, if you think of Panda Express, right? Their orange chicken that gets you inside is let people book time directly on your calendar. That's it, right? I thought, you say, you're, oh, I thought you're talking
0: about like Seth Godin, purple cow. And you were saying like orange chicken. I was like, what yeah. am I missing yeah. something? What's going on? That's an yeah, awesome the, that's,
1: I've used this, I've used the metaphor a couple of different times. Uh, it's like Panda Express is known for the orange chicken, and that's what they have on the sample butter that gets you inside, right? Um, you think about Loom, right? The thing for Loom is like, hey, you can record your screen and yourself at the same time. It feels not that interesting to an investor, but to the end user that has that problem. I'm literally bringing this into you know iMovie and I'm trying to overlay my, my picture. Oh, I can just do it in the browser this is amazing. And then you get in there and then you can actually see the rest of it. So it's actually what we help them do is we try to walk them down to the really, really specific capability that solves the really, really specific problem that ideally is shared by lots of different users, right? Like you can think of a one password as another one, right? Store your passwords in one online vault. Like that's essentially what the app does. There's way more things you can do. You could have a vault for your company. You can share passwords. It does you know, strong password generation. But if you try to put all that on the homepage, it's not gonna convert. There's a, a rule in like CRO, I think they call it the rule of one. Um, basically it's where it's like you have one message for one use case that has like one benefit. And if you go beyond that on a single asset, usually the 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 success rate of conversion, you know, drops tremendously down. So yeah, I, th- I think that answers your question, but mm-hmm. tell me.
0: Yeah, no, it does. Um. That's interesting. Well, so number one, I was more of an anti-anns guy when I went to the mall, and get, I would get like the cinnamon uh, pretzels. That that was usually what I would would be a sucker for. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was my thing. Uh, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think that the 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 main issue that I'll run into as a product market that like I'm usually faced with is right there are so many different features, and I want to be democratic. I want to spend. The same amount of time with each one of them I want to do a campaign for this tiny feature and then in two weeks another campaign for this other small feature and then in another couple of weeks another tiny little campaign and so what you're saying is essentially don't well maybe for the acquisition stage don't mm-hmm. worry about trying to fit every single one of those features into your home page maybe just focus on like that big benefit that the end user is going to receive? Does that change after the acquisition stage? Like once you hit, you know, once the user is like in they're they're interested, like how does the messaging change once they're, um, once they're in and they're starting to get more familiar with stuff?
1: Yeah, and so it, yeah, you're totally right. It's, remember, you're just trying to get them to try the product, right? You just are trying to do whatever it's going to do the time they hit the hero image of your website, to scrolling down to that CTA, you know, jump in the product, explore, whatever it is. You're just trying to cross that threshold. So a lot of people see their homepage as like this is the single source of truth of who we are as a company. It's our, you know, it's our branding, it's our storefront, it's everything we stand for. But in a PLG world, the homepage is just one of the entry points into the product, right? It's a really big entry point, but you can get invited from one user to another in email and that's bypasses the homepage altogether. So thinking about it that these are all different ways that people are getting funneled into the product. You really are just trying to get that main one on the homepage, whatever is going to get them to cross into the product. And then once they're in there, you can structure out which features you release to try to improve the retention, to try to uh, improve the expansion to other users, um, to add on to the team collaboration. If you hit them with the team collaboration message and they're not even a user themselves yet, they're not even going to really care that much in most cases. It's usually like solve the problem for them and then show, hey, you know, you can invite your teammates into here. Like I, I think of an example like Figma, right? Like Figma as a design tool, even in single single player mode, is amazing. I think it's exponentially better than Illustrator. But once you layer in the collaborative piece, inviting teammates, it gets even better. So it to me, it's like the the actual system, the tools, that's what gets you through the door. and then the collaboration gets you to expand and the retention uh, gets improved from all those different metrics. So it's basically, Uh, spreading these features across the journey and trying to tie them to the different actions you're trying to get them to do.
0: Got it. No, I love that. That makes total sense. Okay. So we are at the tail end of the session here. I have a question in the chat from Lisa that I'm going to ask. And if anybody else has any questions, feel free to pop them in the chat and I'll ask them right after this. And so to either Madison or Anthony, so does a company have to be founded with PLG in mind or can an old dog adopt PLG? (laughs) I love this
2: question. I don't think that you need to start off being a PLG company to implement PLG today. Now, of course, it is going to be a bit of a transition period. And that, of course, is going to come with it with its own set of challenges, but it's totally doable. And there's sort of these like micro steps that you can take towards getting there. Um, And so that's what I do for a a lot of the companies that I advise for um, are sales-led companies that are trying to transition, and I've seen that successfully done. So it is possible. Um, I think there's two things that you absolutely need. One is the strategy piece. You need someone either internally who is a PLG expert or externally who's consulting you on it because, again, like I said in the beginning, not just implementing a free trial, there's so much more that goes into it. So if you have that strategy piece, that's one uh, piece of the puzzle. And the second one is the growth mindset that I talked about earlier. So are you someone who is willing to test and iterate and in all aspects of the business, even on emails that you're sending or on, you know, the, the product qualified lead aspect of things, you have to be willing to find out what's best for your business. And so if you're looking for a one size fit, all it's certainly that you're not going to find that anywhere. Um, but certainly with PLG, it very much shapes to the shape of your business and your business needs, depending on what that is. Um, so if you have those two things, you're golden and you can definitely start to implement PLG today.
0: Yeah, I can totally attest that you you need to have some kind of person who's been there, done that. If you're going mm-hmm. to transition from sales led to product led, because there's just, there's just aspects that you're not even that you're so used to that you nobody you, you wouldn't believe like oh it yeah that does make sense and uh, if if it, like if we're going like in a product-led environment you know like you need somebody who is there to like kind of ask you some of these questions because the way that sales-led companies have been run I mean it's, it's been happening for decades and decades now and whereas PLG is still relatively new and so definitely mm-hmm. recommend getting somebody who has kind of done the horse and pony show and can actually help you figure out like the questions that you need to be asking yourself. It's not something that you can just turn on. Madison, Anthony, thank you very much for jumping on. I learned a ton. Where can folks follow you? Madison, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, my LinkedIn is really where I, I send everyone to. So I post uh, on a weekly basis, sometimes more frequently on all things PLG, product marketing to give you some helpful tips for free. Um, and then if you do want to work with me, you can go to my LinkedIn and I have a link there to book a free 15 uh, minute consultation to see if we're a good fit together.
1: Yep. And a uh, very similar LinkedIn for me. That's kind of my own personal homepage. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. Post pretty frequently. uh, Usually we were me and my partner, Robert, we're building kind of our own framework for how to do product marketing as an early stage startup. And so all my posts are kind of different pieces of the framework that we're building in public. So uh, you can kind of see as it evolves (laughs) over time. Um, Yeah. And if you want to work, work with me or uh, my partner, it's FletchPMM.com and we're taking a slightly different approach. We're not doing as much custom. It's more like a Repeatable package services for specific problems. So you could go there, you could see all of our pricing and everything. So we're not even, not even book a demo to find out. It's all just open for anyone to find.
0: Look at that! You're, you're, you're taking the PLG to heart. You're, uh, you're just going go at ahead. it. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, Madison, uh, Anthony, thank you so much again for joining, and thanks everyone else for joining. I'll see you next time, and I'll be sure to post this on the podcast feed for everyone else, uh, here shortly later this week.
2: Thank Perfect. Thanks cool. so much, guys.
0: Later, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hey, you made it to the end of the episode. I have one small favor for you now. If you could please rate this podcast five stars wherever you're listening to it, that'd be super helpful for me. For Spotify, you can only leave a review on the mobile app, and you can do that on the top of the Healthy Competition podcast profile. And for Apple Podcasts, you have to scroll to the bottom of the show's page and click write a review. Each podcast episode takes about five hours of my time from beginning to end while reviewing it should only take about five seconds of your time. Plus, you'd be making my day. So thank you so much in advance and see you in the next episode.